Hey Pelicans fans, welcome back to the Protect the Nest podcast. We've got David Grubb on again this week. He's got a little bit of a personal news to uh, tell us about because he'll be featured more regularly on your airwaves. And we're going to get a little bit more into the basketball where our last podcast was uh, not sticking to sports. And I appreciate everybody who gave me a little bit of feedback on that podcast. Uh, Yeah, we'll bring you in. Mr. David Grubb, thanks for coming back on. Oh, I can tell you, anytime you need me, I'm there, man. Yeah, well, again, I can't say I appreciate it enough uh, just to touch base. Obviously, I wish I'd said a certain and phrased certain things differently, but I was thinking in my head, feeling in my heart, might not have been communicated quite with the uh, best sentence structure. But, you know, we hope to roll up on some real, real accomplishments before, you know, anything, another major tragedy happens. And I think we all, I, I, that's the only real real thing I, I got out of that. I've listened to it several times. I keep feeling your emotion, and it, I, again, I can't say it enough. I appreciate it. Every time you come on and every time you give me a little glimpse into what it's really like to live in this America. Yeah, I just try to be honest um, with people, and um, yeah, it has, to, it has to be that way. It has. To, if I can't convey it that in that way, in that honest manner, um, you know, it, it's, it's easier to dismiss. And so, yeah, I just appreciate the fact that you're always willing to listen, and I appreciate the fact that you ask questions like, as you stated, it has it comes from a place of really trying to understand and, and make things better, and not trying to have me prove anything. So that that's so important in this level of discussion. Right, and and not to stick too much on that again. Appreciate it. Yeah. We had some big news for the Pelicans this this week that kind of gives us a glimpse into understanding what they're doing and how they're feeling about things in their heart, and that is the Trajan Langdon news. Both me and Will Guillory of The Athletic came out with, I had an article pop up that morning. He had a tweet later on confirming that Trajan Langdon would uh, not be interviewing with Sacramento, and I think that speaks to David Griffin's strategy, and he said, you're either all the way in or all the way out. There's no in-between. It's in the protectedness intro. And this was, you know, if you go take this interview, that's kind of being in-between. And it, it says a lot that Trajan Langdon declined the interview and wants to stick with the project that he started with David Griffin last summer. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one year in, you don't want to be seen as part of a reason for a disappointment because that's, that's what it would be if he left after this season. Then you start questioning, okay, what was his motivation for coming down here in the first place? Why isn't he seeing it through? And I think that professionally, it might have been something that he didn't want to have on his on his resume, that he's that kind of guy. And then you add into it, you know, the personal connections, and you can say, well, this is about business. But yeah, but there are a lot of dude guys on this team. You know what I mean? And I think that that means something, too, that this this is, these are your little brothers, in a sense. When you're in a fraternity or something that's what this is, and, and you've brought them to this place to do something that you said was great, it would almost be kind of abandoning them in a, in a, in a way. So, yeah, I think Trajan wants to be here. I think Griffin wants him here, and that's a good sign that organizationally, that even after a disappointing year, that they're still seemingly on the same page. Well, the building out the front office with David Griffith's only real moves that he controlled. He couldn't control the draft lottery and getting Zion and obviously getting the top pick. He was going to take him. Same for Anthony Davis moving along. That was kind of forced. He only had two real options, the Boston package or the L.A. package. I don't think any other package out there would have satisfied the fans or the rest of the, you know, the team, the roster in a way that would have encouraged maybe David Favors or J.J. Redick to come thinking they had a chance at the playoffs. I mean, he had to take one of those two packages. So building the front office was the only thing he controlled completely. And then, you know, some of the things, too, that, you know, and adding to that roster, 
But the draft picks that they made behind Zion, you know, making the trade to go down and take Jackson and Nikhil, uh, um, um, and then just the moves that they didn't make during the regular season and going after a big after Zion and Favors were both hurt early, and not acquiring a veteran point guard behind Lonzo and Giroud to kind of run the offense in the second unit. We saw how bad it get at times. I mean, that stuff's on Griffin, too. Um, so I think those moves that he didn't make uh, in year one should be counted as well. And well, I think it speaks well to the organization that, that the front office talent is already being pursued by other clubs. Other clubs are looking at the moves that they've made since they've been in-house, and they Sacramento likes what Trajan and David Griffith was doing, and they wanted to take some of that. They wanted to hire Trajan to, to come lead their program maybe in the same way. So it, it bodes well that other people are taking notice of what the front office here is doing. They like it so much that they want to throw millions at, at maybe bringing somebody on and, and putting that same template to use in their organization for the hopes of the same goals, a championship, which the Pelicans probably won't get next year. But the year after that, they really need to start looking at who on this roster is a playoff caliber player. And Trajan Langdon is great in evaluating and scouting and player development and what he's done, just going back to his Brooklyn days. And keeping that on board, it keeps us on track for that championship window. David Griffith you know, talked about on his first day in office. Absolutely, because you're really, I mean, look at, look at where Giannis is right now. Look at where Steph Curry was in their careers. Um, Kevin Durant was a little bit ahead of schedule. But typically, it's year four or five when you start to see those superstar um, elite players come into that I should be making the finals move um, and and so yeah you're looking at that for Griffin is building towards that who are going to be those pieces that are there at that point because it won't be nine of these guys that we're seeing on the roster today it won't be it's just it, it, that's just the way of the NBA um, some of these guys are going to move on this year so um, you would think that over by the time we're talking three four years down the road it's going to be some some rearranging on the edges around the core you would hope of Ingram and uh, Zion and possibly Lonzo and certainly Hart as the sixth man extraordinaire. But everybody else on the roster, yeah, Griffin's going to have to do some real great evaluation and some development um, to figure out what this team is going to be. And you say nine players won't be here. I totally agree. If you go down our roster, and, and we could do it right now, if you're certain, you want to say this player is certainly a playoff caliber player, you put Drew on the list first because just what he did against Portland. J.J. Redick, I mean, you have to put him as a playoff caliber player because the only year he missed the playoffs is this year with the Pelicans. Favors, he's been there before. Zion will grow into a playoff player in the next year or two. We know that. Ingram, I think, proved as an all-star this year that – that he is a certainly a playoff caliber player. Then you have a bunch in the middle ground where we just don't know. And I think we've got a couple that we should admit they're not going to be contributors to a playoff team. So there's no real reason to keep them in town except on vet minimum deals to fill out the last roster spot and maybe, maybe get thrown in a trade sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, outside of that core group of three or four, because even Drew is somebody you have to you have to make calls on this offseason. You have to figure out... I want to take this one more year. At the, at the, to me, the strategy would, the sound strategy with Drew would be, let's play this season that started and see how we get out of the gate. And if we get near the All-Star break and it doesn't look like we're going to make a real run and there's there are good options out there, then let's move Drew then. Um, I think that would be the most sound thing. But, yeah, and even with Redick, another guy in the last year of his contract, are you going to extend J.J. Redick at this point in his career? No, you're not. Because his age and the fact that, He's going to want to win a championship before he leaves. So Reddick becomes a deadline deal uh, you know, uh, target as well. 
if you let favors go, that's money off the books. So, but you got to go sign another big. You, if, you got to do something with Darius Miller because I don't think you expect him to come back and be a contributor next year. So you have this seven million dollar player option that you'd rather be like, um, can we tr- move him somehow? Etwan Moore won in the last year of his deal. I think you want to you want to think about moving Etwan. You didn't play him enough unless the next coach feels like he's going to be a rotational player again. But how, who does he take those minutes from? At the two. So uh, if you are keeping ready, if you do have JJ, I mean, if you do have Drew, if you do have Josh Hart, if you do have Nikhil, if you do have Didi on the roster next year, and you have Lonzo in the backcourt, and sometimes you're playing Ingram as a big two, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's, there's just not enough minutes for all these guards and wings that they have unless they're going to get bigger at that position. So I think there are a number of guys who would be um, options to move. And I'd even consider moving Jackson Hayes because waiting for him to develop a big man is hard. It's hard. And I don't think you can wait for him. Um, he has to prove that he makes a big jump in this short offseason as a defender uh, in particular to make me, be, make me think that I can hold on to him for two or three more years. Right on my list of players that are in the middle ground for are, is this player a playoff caliber player? I've got Etwan number one. I mean, surely he could be the seventh or eighth man, but I don't think we ever see him at this point in his career growing into a starter on a on a top four seed. I just don't think that'll happen. And Jackson Hayes, my note on him is he is Mo Bamba in two years. That's his ceiling. And Mo, how does that help this team win a championship in two years when Ingram is going to be the same age as Giannis now? Facing the same questions with Zion also waiting in the wings and facing a contract extension the next season at that point. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on Jackson Hayes. I, I'm not sold that we can keep him around long term as much as I love his game and think he'll be great. He he just might, him and Nikhil just might not have room on this roster except as as trade bait, as prospects. You can't, you can't raise six players. No one has that kind of time in the NBA because the NBA is not a practice league. You know, it's an adjustment. You don't get a lot of practice time to work on uh, fundamental skills during the season. So developing a big man takes a lot longer now in the NBA. And that's why I think you see so many one-dimensional bigs is because you can't spend the time to teach them post moves. You can't spend the time to teach them how to balance themselves. How many of these kids have even done a mic injury? You know what I mean? So I, I think that that's, been a, that's a big issue for Jackson is that if he can't defend at the rim, if he can't protect the paint with, with Zion being limited in, in his height and also not being a great defender at this point, somebody on that back end has to cover. And it's not going to be Ingram as the intimidator. It's not yet Zion. And I don't know if he'll ever be a guy who's a straight-up rim protector. I think he can be a guy who's blocked some shots, but he's not going to be a rim protector at 6'7". So, I mean, I think that's going to be the key for Jackson Hayes. If he's not performing at a level where he's – Stopping people from scoring, then he just you can't wait. You have to find more dependable bigs. And looking behind him, going down the list on playoff caliber players, Jalil Okafor, does anybody see him growing into a rim protector at any point in his career? I mean, he's basically the the type of prototypical big that was told to move out of the way, let's teach you a mid-range jump shot, maybe extend it to the three-point line, so that you're just threatening enough to maybe move a rim protector out of the paint. That's his only useful purpose for this team. If you keep him as a, a third pick, he should never be the first off the bench. But I think if you have to understand what Jaleel is and if your roster doesn't have the things that he needs um, when he's in the game. He's unstoppable on the block. Yeah, we've seen it. Nobody can stop. He's a bucket. He's a bucket in the post. But when you put him in the game, 
You would better have someone on the opposite side at that four spot who can defend. And that's what the Pelicans have not had, is somebody who could come in at the four spot and be an intimidating force to allow Jaleel to just say, focus on boxing out defensively. You know, do what you can, but your main thing is focus on boxing out. And if he gets boards, cool, because I don't think he'll ever be an elite rebounder. I didn't see that when he was in college. Um, but I think he can at least be an impediment. Uh, you've seen him get into elite shape. Write his salary where it is now. It's not like you need to throw him away as a better big at what he's getting paid. But you had better have somebody above him who can do the things that he cannot. And, you know what I mean? And, and have a roster where you have guys who can shoot outside of him and a big who can protect him. Right. I agree with you on I would bring Jaleel back on his salary. Maybe just slight bump depending on if we have the money. But it, speaking to what he needs around him, that takes us directly to Nicolo Melli. And even last year, we had Mirotic at the four, uh, you know, playing the stretch four. I know both of them are borderline playoff rotational players, but could we get something better packaging Melly and some? I like Melly, but again, that's another package that Griffin's going to have to look at because, as you said, nine of these players on this roster won't be here in two years, no matter. That's just the way of the NBA. I'm not a Melly guy um, because he doesn't do enough. You know, this is. Uh, I think he was just overcrowded. We thought that he was going to come in and beat Nico Miritich. That's what you thought you were going to get. A guy who could give you a double-double some nights and be a guy who blocks some shots on occasion. That's what, that's what, kind of the way it was advertised. Um, and you didn't get an elite shooter. You got a guy who was hesitant at times to shoot, who had some, some high points but then could disappear for weeks at a time, even when given minutes. Uh, he's not really a guy who can handle the ball. We didn't see any great passing acumen from him. So I think that there are players out there who are better than he is. If somebody wants him, um, more power to him. But I think at $7 million, even if you had to eat that deal and give it away to somebody or something that you really didn't want, I mean, not something that you don't want, but somebody could just help you more at a position of need. I take back, again, I take back a guy who just rebounds for Melly. The Pelicans have more shooting than they thought they did going into last season. Remember, that was the concern is can they shoot? Well, Brandon Ingram was shooting a career high of three-point percentage. J.J. Redick was shooting. Pelicans were top five in attempts and makes and percentage. So, you know, that was, that's no longer a worry um, of having not enough shooters. But then you address that issue. You, you need some people who can rebound. Um, you need people who can defend. You know, that's what I would be trying to do if I was moving Melly. Well, that only leaves a couple people on our list, and one of them is perhaps the best technical, most fundamental rebounder on the team, Josh Hart. And I don't think uh, anybody would argue. He's he's a playoff player. He's got a playoff mentality, and we would put him over in the certain column. And behind him, the only le- player left besides the two-way players is Lonzo, who, again, I'm not really sure about the same way you're not sure about Melly. I, I just didn't see what I wanted to see from Lonzo that, that you can sell me him long-term. If we had to take on a little bit extra money – a more useful player maybe the return I would take that return on investment maybe even take a chance and just mixing up the chemistry because looking at Melly he was somebody that Trajan Langdon had his eye on back when he was in Brooklyn Lonzo was somebody Alvin Gentry has always wanted to coach I mean the coach that wanted him didn't really get the most out of him so what can the next coach do but uh yeah so what are your thoughts on Josh Hart being a certain playoff player and Lonzo I mean, are you as sold on Lonzo? Are you more sold on Lonzo than me, perhaps? Okay, for Josh Hart, yeah, I, I think he's a lock. That's why when I always address the Pelicans, I call it three and a half men. That's my thing. You have three locks, Zion, Ingram, and Josh Hart, and Lonzo's my half. And that's why I, I say he's a half because 
you get the, the Lonzo next season. And, and there's so many reports that he was not happy in the bubble, that that just was not the environment that he was comfortable in. So if you get the Lonzo that you were getting the, the last 36 games of the season, where he was putting up elite numbers, um, three-point shooting-wise, rebounds, assists, blocks, um, and it, it just you know the thing that you still want to see out of him is can he get to the free throw line? Can he be consistent in at least attacking the basket? Uh, there's still some growth. Remember, this was the most games he'd ever played in an NBA season. I'm not ready to give up on him right now and sell low. He's another one of those people that I want to see how he gets out of the gate. What is he doing? Because he does have a great relationship with Zion Williamson. And I'm not trying to irk Zion and take away some something that's comfortable for him early unless I am certain that I can get someone who will mesh with him as well. So, yeah, I want to give Lonzo some more leash. He's not a definitive for me at this point, but I I saw a lot of things that I liked last year. If he can get a coach to pull those other things out of him this season, then he's a keeper. Right, so going back to that David Griffith line, you're either all the way in, all the way out. There's no in between. That that's that's in between on Lonzo is kind of what I'm hearing. I, I I think I'm all the way out on him, but it brings us to the last player I forgot about, which might be the most in between player on the roster, and that's Kenrich Williams. Again, another player I would probably bring in back. In between, between Kenrich Williams doesn't belong in the NBA. They belong in the NBA. There you go. I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe, just because he's he's never really had the time to, to get out there. and sh- Maybe I just hadn't paid that much attention. Granted, you've, you've watched him longer than I have. Uh, it's my first season in New Orleans. Obviously, I paid attention to the Pelicans right in other places, but I, I have not been into the team the way you have. I still had a little bit of benefit of the doubt to give Kenrich, but if you're all the way out on him like that, I've got to go with your assessment. I've got to, I've got to trust you on that. Look, at this stage, Kenrich Williams is – Almost 24 years old, right? Um, but he's got he's, the nickname uh, Kenny Hustle. Everybody loves a little nickname like Kenny Hustle. Yeah, that's fantastic and all, but on a rotation, even if the, the, you take the, the current roster and you make it perfectly healthy, everybody is 100% healthy. Kenrich comes in as 10th on your list. Think about it. You have your starting five of uh, Lonzo, Drew, Ingram, Zion, Favors. Then behind that, you had Josh Hart, JJ, um, Melly. Uh, Melly. Uh, who am I? Almost each one. Uh, the head of it. You know, yeah, Frank. Jackson, Frank. And yeah, all those people. So you're talking about he's, he's 9, 10, 11, 12 on the rotation. But what am I keeping him for? You know, I, I got all these rookie picks I have this year with three second rounders. Got DD coming back from Australia. DD right now, you'd say, is better than what you get in Rich. Because Kenrich went 240, 5 for 40, excuse me, 12.5% for his last 20 games from three point range. He's not tall enough and big enough to defend fours. He's not fast enough to defend threes. He doesn't shoot the ball ever, so he's not an offensive threat. He can't handle the ball particularly well. It's an effort thing, and that's fine. When he has to play real minutes against real competition, he gets exposed. He's just a guy who tries really hard. I hear you. So, so he's the basketball version of Rudy. He could be a great basket uh, practice squad player, but as far as going onto the court, it just yeah. All he's doing is taking up time from developmental minutes, and we don't have enough to spread around to as all the rookies and and potential draft right. picks we have as it is. Yeah. All right. You took me off the fence. I'm out. Kenny Hustle. Nice to know you. Take a po boy with you out of town. Uh, <laughs> not to. Or maybe not, he can be. You know, he could be one of those guys that if, if you thought, okay, let's send you down to the G League, to our our G League team. We don't want to cut you. If somebody else in NBA gives him a contract, I'd be surprised. 
point of view, say we don't want we want you part of the organization because you do exemplify this attitude of work hard, do the right things, and you pre- teach guys how to practice. Put them in and say, look, would you be interested in being in the G League and being that guy? And then we transition you to maybe if you're interested to be a coach. If, if there's not a playing career out there for, look, if the man wants to go play and search, cool. But I think he could be a really vital piece of the organization that way. And I give credit to Kevin Barrios for bringing that up first. And then um, on our pod, and the more we thought about it, it was like, yeah, that, that really would make sense, but I just don't know if he'd go for something like that. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Kevin Barrios, the, the artist always thinking outside the box. I mean, him and Chris Connor writing a script and a movie script, that's just something that, you know, I write for Forbes. I don't even try and think about that because that, that's not my wheelhouse. It's not going to be allowed. And hearing them think, hearing y'all think outside the box on your podcast over there at Bird Rights, it, it it lets me stay fresh with the team a little bit. Where whereas if you're always just looking straight at the numbers, the pure facts, like some other writers, you know, or or the the nerds as they call them, the analytics guys that just stay tunnel vision into that, you, you kind of miss part of the game. You miss the personality and the characters of the game. And and at some point you have to be able to let the you know, show that narrative and, and come out as a person. And that shows that you enjoy the team and you know a little bit about the team. Just, I don't know. I have I have fun listening to y'all over there. And I guess that was just, just a little plug if you want to plug that. And uh, getting towards the end, aren't you going to be on radio a little bit more? Got a featured spot uh, every weekday somewhere. You want to tell the people about that? Yeah, every Thursday I'll be on uh, 103.7 The Game in Lafayette. So you can check them out on their app or you can listen on to it online. And I'm also in Houston on KYOK Radio every Monday and Wednesday from 12 to 2 over there. So I'm still branching out and bringing um, the show other places and my voice other places. And I thank everybody for the support that I've got. Man, it's great to hear you getting out there. Uh, looking at the Lafayette, though, are you noticing more of a Pelicans following in Lafayette? Or is it still, I don't know, I've just noticed in North Louisiana, they, the Pelicans just haven't latched on like I would like them to. And, of course, when you get to Shreveport, it's closer to Dallas anyway. It's only three hours. Right. It's three hours from Shreveport to go see Luca play. I understand it some, but Lafayette, Lafayette seems like it could come along to be a real Pelican stronghold. Yeah, I think there is more interest. The more we talked during um, my, my appearances there when I filled in, um, there were a lot more Pelicans questions as we got going. So I think people are starting to build. I think the team has done somewhat better in marketing itself. Um, but most importantly, you, you have some magnetic players, uh, and that's going to be important. But I, until this team gets someone who's going, it's this coach, and there's still a player that's, or one of these two guys, either Brandon or Zion, has to emerge as the actual leader of this team um, and, and seize it, which nobody's done. It's weird. I'm going to say this. It's weird that the things that this team needs the most are the things that the best Pelicans team in franchise history already had. You need that kind of Chris Paul type leader, be vocal. You need that David West type toughness down low. You need a Tyson Chandler rim protector. If you could combine those two teams, you win an NBA championship easy. <laughs> well, what's great about the Pelicans' future right now is they're going to be able to show they're the best in one of the toughest conferences uh, or, or, you know, divisions. With Luka, Houston, you're going over to Houston. You know, they're in the playoffs now, but James Harden's not going to be not going to be the player he is now forever. We've got Zion. We've got Ja. We've got Luka. It's going to be great watching this current squad come up and, yeah, putting together all-time list of Pelicans and Hornets. You know, the, the the decades teams, we're finally going to get to start putting those together in a few years. And I think 
just just being around that long is you know showing that they care showing that they want to market the team and branch out and the looking at how they're doing the jersey uh sponsorship and the superdome naming rights it's all through gail benson and she wants to grow these teams a bit more organically now i think is what i'm seeing they're asking for more community engagement from the sponsors and as you see that process branch out i think you'll see more of the loyal devoted fans coming to the games because they still appreciate it they're not gonna say they're boycotting games because players are speaking out or they're gonna not listen to a show because somebody's saying they don't they don't want to hear it they're gonna stick around and listen because that's the kind of engagement that the team's looking for player people and and teams with open minds will find that they'll grow their fan base and they'll attract better players just because i mean players look at that players as much as people watch espn and think it's all based on whatever they do with their fantasy team it's not players are really looking for a home and like you say lonzo didn't find a home in the bubble and it showed i think if the players find a home here in new orleans it'll show and their home will get bigger. The Pelicans' home in the state will get bigger. We'll be more of a, a Gulf Coast team than just a New Orleans team behind the Saints. Uh, do you see it going that way? As long as they continue to do the work. I mean, they've got to back up the things that they said this summer. Um, and I think that they you know, have a lot to prove. They still do. Um, and they have to be consistent. If ultimately wins and losses are going to tell us the, the, the tale. Three years from now, we're doing this all over again, and we're talking about Zion didn't want to sign his extension, and he's going to go into the free agency. If we're all, if we're at that point in a few years, then no, they won't. They, it won't grow. So they've got to win first and foremost. But it is going to be important for uh, the front office and, and uh, Gail Benson to be consistent because, in my eyes, they do have a, a, a lot to prove uh, and a ways to go. I hope that their eyes have been opened um, and that they are sincere in what they say. But you know, time is going to tell. Right, and I hope it's not all dependent on Zion. Uh, I've got you for a few more minutes before we hit the half hour mark. You usually say you can go as long as you want. And we've tweeted about academy programs and junior programs. And Mark Cuban in Dallas has promoted that idea more than any other NBA owner that I've seen. Where I mean, could New Orleans could have a juniors program uh, in a way that mimics the European game. And again, we've tweeted about it. Most of our listeners probably won't be as familiar with the soccer scene. But you've got a daughter, I believe, that plays soccer uh, over in Baton Rouge. And just seeing the academy program, I would like to see the Pelicans have a U19 or U23. You say send Kenrich to the G League. I don't want to see G League players above the age of 23. I, I would really want to see that as a developmental uh, place for all these draft picks if we keep them. I don't see us keeping all of them. But most of those draft picks are going to be European draft and stash. Or we're going to draft you with the agreement you're going to go to the G League until you're ready to, to, to no, really I, continue. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. I, I don't know because I think what you want is a true shuttle system. That's what you want is a true shuttle system because even if I have bets that, okay, I'm, uh, I want to stash you for a minute. You know, like I signed you, but in this matchup, this week I'm not, I don't need this extra big. I can send down a veteran big and bring up a guard. I mean, I think that's, that's what I'd want to see because you can't, it's just not possible. If you have to, if you have to have a roster of nothing but under twenty threes, the the they're not worth anything to you in the regular season. If that's what your focus is, you, there's a difference between a developmental team, like you're saying. I think there should be multiple levels, just like there is in European basketball. You know, you have levels of leagues, and that's what I want to see is where you can have some veterans still around, where it's not just the NBA or nothing, and they're out on the street. I want veterans who can stay in shape that I'm investing in 
you know, because, I mean, even look at minor league baseball and soccer, you see guys who are in their late 20s, early 30s, and some guys don't break through to their 27, 28. You know, athletes don't develop. Some, we, we see this all the time, like a guy like a Hassan Whiteside. Would you rather have been in Turkey and missed three years of his NBA career being over there or developing on a roster as he got into I think, he, you know, he was about 25, 26 when they finally turned into a decent NBA player. I mean, I wouldn't want to give up that way and just limit it, but I'd like to have I'd like us to go to that complete European thing where if you want to be a pro at 15, go be a pro at 15. It's not like we're educating these kids now. It's BS. No, we don't care about tennis. We don't care about baseball. We, had, we, let them, we let Major League Baseball sign kids in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic at 15 years old. So, I mean, we've seen Europeans do it, and Tony Parker was a pro at 15 years old. Luka Doncic was a pro at 15 years old. Chris Tapp, Porzingis, and they had to compete against grown men in hostile environments and leave their families by so, I mean, I think you could absolutely do it in the United States. I wouldn't want to limit the G League itself to just kids. I think you need to have a level below that where you see things like the, the PCL um, and, like, have that G League elite group grow and develop, and maybe that's what you separate it to, the G, G League elite, which is just those real young kids, and then you have the G League regular, which is more of, okay, we've got young guys on the roster that we need to develop, and we've got some vets that we want to hold on to, it's like a normal minor league team, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, hey, I'm glad you took it that far, that quick, because you know, just, 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 yeah, looking at the European leagues, they've got Champions League, different developmental leagues. You could have two or three different minor leagues, like baseball. The money's there. I think we know the money's there. It would just cripple the NCAA, and I don't think anybody has a problem with that. That's listening to this podcast because no, Cuban like, said it too. Cuban and um, Cuba was want to open my eyes to it. When he said the, the job of the NBA should be to crush the NCAA because the NCAA does not develop NBA-ready players. The coaches there are trying to win college basketball games. It has a different set of rules. It has a much more varied level of talent. So when these guys come in, you, that's why you have to spend so much time developing at Jackson A's and then learn anything in his one semester at Texas. Right, and, and to, just to explain more to the listeners who might not be as familiar, they have just regional leagues where in Europe you have to win your regional league and move up. You could have amateur clubs that played against some of these. They have all of that. It's built out in a way over 100 years that we couldn't do from day one. But we could have things like, say, uh, I know Jet Life Athletic here in Louisiana has got some player representations. Elite Nola is about to have a like a $100,000 tournament. You have to have some way we can have a Louisiana league that, that develops these kids and the Pelicans are involved. Uh, again, having you, you, you see it in Europe. Manchester has their club that will go and play their kids against other local clubs. And if one yep. of those local kids shines out, the Pelicans invite them to come play with them for a few weeks. And that's how a trial works and you develop, again, NBA players, not college basketball. And that's what you want. You want sustained NBA-level talent because one of the big issues for me always – as I watch these games, you're seeing how limited so many of these players are. You know, we didn't have these terms 10, 15 years ago of pre-ND and specialist and all that stuff. Because, I mean, yeah, the guy was a shooter. Yeah, you brought in, you know, Steve Kerr, and he thought, well, he's a shooter. But at the same time, he had to put the ball on the ground sometimes. He had to do his job as a guard. And now, because these kids, you can't afford to spend all this time teaching them every skill. You tend to say, let me teach you the two things you're good at. If you're a really good rebounder, I'm going to teach you just to rebound and, you know, get putbacks. If you're a shooter, then I'm going to put you in this corner and you're going to shoot threes. But that's why so many teams are looking for secondary ball handling. That's why so many teams are looking for rim defense. 
It's why so many, everybody's got three-point shooters, but nobody's got ball handlers and these things because you just don't, where do you work on those skills? Where do you work on footwork in high school? Where do you work on those on the college level? You don't have the opportunity to get coached. Where are those college coaches getting those players? They're getting them from AAU coaches that just want to hype their program, so they'll find a star, teach them, you know, a few moves, try and compile a super team, and that's all they're worried about is hyping that program. They're not worried about some of these programs. Got to be honest with themselves. They're not worried about hyping the kids, doing what's best for the kids. They're only doing what's best for you know that that program, and that's where you get some of the shady characters in it. Uh, I know Christian Dawkins. I've watched that that documentary he did with hbo and if we open our eyes to doing what's right to the kids and trying to grow what's best for the game one you'll get a better product two you'll find more quality i think in it and three you'll you'll find just that there's more opportunities for everyone and people will watch lower level games they televise third division soccer games in germany for a reason people want to see the next up and comer the same way you want to know about the, the next rock or rapper before they're they blow up and you could say, I knew about them, and I'm watching this guy, and I've watched him grow the same way we watched Zion grow up on Instagram. He was the first. The next generation, there's going to be 30 of them. After that, there'll be 300. Where do we want them grown? The Pelicans and the NBA should want them grown under the NBA umbrella, not have an AAU coach handling, a handler that handles them to a college coach, and who knows how that college is run. And then they're off to an agent, and they're, they're, you, you don't know what's in these kids' heads once they get to your team. Once they get to be a professional, you don't know if they're actually a professional between the ears, even if they look like one on the court. Yeah, you've hampered their development so much in the system the way it is now, um, both mentally and as basketball players, because the formation of these AAU super teams, which was never the thing when I was growing up, I mean, the team in New Orleans at the time was the best team in the country, won the AAU national championship um, back-to-back years. Um, Randy Livingston, who's not a head coach at Newman, was the star player. And there there were some other guys who went on to play college ball, but there were none of these guys who, who went on to become NBA legends. It wasn't a super team because guys on my high school team were there, guys that I knew were on that team who didn't play college ball, but they won the national championship because it was the kids from the neighborhood. That doesn't exist in AAU anymore. You got kids from Maryland playing on a team from Vegas. You know, you got kids from Georgia playing on a team from California. So it, it, it just... None of that, I don't think it encourages a kid to learn how to carry teammates if your whole team is made up of five-star, four-star recruits. You know, a guy like a Michael Jordan playing at his high school, Laney High School, there was nobody else. So you have to learn how to play basketball. And I think that these kids are, are having it so easy. And I'm not saying, that's on us. That's on the adults. Whenever the kids do this, it's on us and not putting the structures together. Um, and we have not put the structures together to develop the best players possible and some of that is it's because they're asking for the money to come out of the players or parents pockets in this case i mean you know travel ball and once you get to a certain level if there's not a scholarship or somebody willing to fund that program you're cutting out a large portion of of the population just on financials you couldn't travel i was lucky enough to go to belgium to play in the summer of 98 but coming back to high school you know i played in natchitoches i stuck with my club team in natchitoches and it was fun to win and lose with your friends. One, you learned something. You know, it, we, we had a saying, and I'm sure it's, it's sure, surely people in New Orleans have heard it. We might have lost the game, but we never lost a party. Afterwards, we were still bonding together. And sure, I went and tried and played with other travel teams. But in the end, you learn more when you go and do that and they tell you you're not good enough. Or you play with your team and you find out more about yourself instead of 
having having coaches paper over your weaknesses to the point where the first time you really hear about them and it's going to affect you and, and have some consequences on your on your life is the only time that's when the college coach cuts you or you're not drafted or you don't make the team you know you don't even make a practice squad in the NFL or the NBA or you can't latch on in Europe and you're asking yourself why well part of the why is cuz nobody was honest with you that whole time so you couldn't even know how to be honest with yourself as a player that's just too much burden to throw on a 13-year-old that just wants to play ball and get better. Yeah, and I think that that's why you look at a kid and you watch these guys. Why does it take a talent like Brandon Ingram the four, almost four years to become the player that you, you thought he was going to be? Because where would he, you know, where do you get that opportunity to stay in there and, and, and work on your game? During the season, coaches need you to win. They need you out there to make winning plays so they can only do the things with you that they trust with you, and that starts so early on, and we need to be working on complete basketball players. And actually, philosophically, it might be the best thing for this country, too, for big-time sports to get migrated out of the universities and into these minor levels because we get rid of all the hypocrisy. You make it honest, and these same kids, if they're given the opportunity to earn this money in this country, they should be able at some point then be able to say, I'm going to go back and get my education. When you're 18, 19 years old as an athlete, that's the only time to pursue your physical gifts. You know what I mean? They're not getting better as you, you get to into your 30s and 40s. But colleges don't close. They're still there. And as long as you create the avenues for players to go back and get education, then I don't see a problem in making the product of basketball better and ultimately making the, pro- the business of basketball cleaner. Right, and and I think everybody would would benefit from a cleaner game, a purer game. Uh, and even looking, at, I, I just don't know how how it can the NCA can sustain itself, especially if they miss another another March Madness. They they just won't have the money. The players will, especially the top end players, will see the see the money in New Zealand. There's other European leagues that are going to do some of the rising star programs, but with their academy, they don't really need to. They already have those programs set. And the more that that comes to North America, uh, you're just going to see some of these college programs. They're going to have to cut them. I don't think you'll see some programs keep men's and women's basketball. It's going to get that deep. They've already cut some. There's been national championship teams in wrestling, tennis, golf. Everything else is being cut. Eventually, this is going to affect the so-called money sports. And that money is going to have to go somewhere else. That talent's going to have to go somewhere else. And it's going to be a good chance for the players, the former players, the, the current coaches, going to be a good chance for them to build the system they want outside of that NCAA structure. And I think it's the first time it will be attempted in America, really. Yeah, I mean, you look at groups like the Professional um, Collegiate League and what they're trying to do. You look at what the NBA is trying to do with the G League. And if I'm The Rock, I still think his smartest option is not to try to be um, a semi-pro facsimile of the NFL. What I'm saying is, you know what? You're 18 and you want to play pro football? Take it. Put an 18 to, that's where you put an 18 to 22, 23-year-old age limit on it. And if you're the XFL and you have all these kids who are missing their seasons and stuff, and you call um, the quarterback at Ohio State and you say, look, Come over here and play for, if you want to play for a year, cool. If you want to play for two, cool. But start that process again, be in the, in, in a, a pro football academy, essentially, rather than this fake pretense of colleges, which, again, don't prepare you. Look how bad the NFL is evaluating quarterbacks. Look at it. I mean, the best quarterbacks in the league right now, only one of them is a first-round 
pick. Uh, I mean, was a, a guy who was highly touted out of college, mm-hmm. and so a lot of these guys were. I mean, were come, have bad experience. Drew Drew Brees was too short. You know, Tom Brady was seventh round, whatever. Yeah, Russell Wilson was too short. The, 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 they've misevaluated so many quarterbacks because you can't train them in college sports. So get them out there and have a league. And if I'm the Rock, that's what I would do. Use the XFL as a minor league and force the NFL to compete with you, and force college football to compete with you in your freedom drive. Right. That would have been the perfect place for Maurice Claret to go. Or I forget who else it was at Ohio State. That sent him up. We're, not school. We, we're not here to play school. We're here to play football. Or, or some quote like that. But, I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of, just in general, not sports, there, this dream of you have to have a college degree has been sold to the point that student loan debt is the most crippling thing to our nation financially uh, for, for, for my generation. You know, And some of these players aren't going to be biochemists. Again, looking at Europe, they have players that get their schooling degrees while they're also getting paid to play basketball. It can be done. Players, uh, oh, oh it's his, his name slipping my mind. A safety that gave up the NFL. Yeah, my. This has to be something that's open to not 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 athletes, not professional athletes, but just to every citizen. The option, if you can get paid to play ball at 15, 16, or even go to Google. Google would hire you if you knew how to code without a degree easily. If you can hack Google, I think they give you a million dollars right now. You don't need a college degree for that. It needs to have the same option for professional athletes. That's the market. Let the free market tell you where you need to go. If you don't want to go have to keep up a GPA, yeah, the XFL is over here for you for The Rock. And if you do well, the NFL's there. If not, you can still have a few more years to make a name for yourself using your best skill and then maybe move into TV, broadcasting, tell your story, how it can be told, and how you lived it, and it still be just as valuable to us as Roy Aikman talking on Fox News. Or do, you know, or do whatever you want to do with your life. Have the yeah. real option to do that instead of having to major in eligibility. You know, I think you take that pressure away of saying, let's pretend, because as we know it's pretend for a lot of these schools is – Let's pretend you're a student and we're going to create these schedules, but you have to stay eligible. You have to give the appearance that you want to be here as a student. And for anybody, rich, poor, whomever, there are plenty of people at 18 who just don't feel like sitting in a classroom. And they have the right to not do that. And if you're skilled, aren't we talking, to me, an individual athlete is an entrepreneur. You, what you're selling is yourself. And so if I want to go into business for myself at 18, 19 years old, and put my body out there as an athlete, I should have the right to do that. If I fail at doing so, then I have the option of going to school anyway. But don't take away the best years of my earning potential, which for an athlete are the youngest years of your life. Why would you take that away from somebody so that they can do an apprenticeship that doesn't earn them any money and does not necessarily prepare them for the next job and is contingent upon the coach's success? If you take it away in the XFL, again, you, you change the focus for these minor leagues from not just competition, but to preparation and practice. And that these football players are doing more skill development, not necessarily just hitting, but it's about real skill development at their positions and not worried about being, you know, being capable of doing the option as well as a pro stop, as well as this, teaching them all those facets to get a better NFL, get better product. And that should be ultimately what you want. But the reason everybody wants it is because right now it's free to a large extent. And you don't want to have to pay for it, but you pay for it in those tickets and you would go see those same players anyway. You know what I'm saying? Those kids are going to, if they're playing in your area, you're going to go see them play anyway. 
And if your school is just made up of like the Ivy League of athletes who no longer have athletic scholarships but have to get into admittance to the school like everyone else, does the Ivy League have any less passion about its football? It's because it's the school. You know what I'm saying? So if, as long as it's competitive, there'll always be people who choose to go to school. And there'll also be people who choose to want to be professional. Right, and it's, it, that's down to choice, and it's down to freedom. And just looking at the coaching that you, you touched upon, I mean, look at Luka Doncic. There was a developmental coach somewhere that he didn't have to focus on wins and losses. He actually got paid a commission when the team sold Luka Doncic on. There, that's how it works for soccer and basketball over there. If you develop a good prospect, and just can't afford his wages anymore, instead of waiting to trade him at the trade deadline, like we're going to be waiting for Drew, you can just sell him on, sell his contract, and get a portion yep. of that. And and that helps sustain a grassroots club so they can grow the next Zion that wants to stay in South Carolina instead of jumping to a Vegas team out of America. You know, all, it, it helps take some of that dirty politics away, actually introducing clean money into the game, and it gives people more choice, more freedom, and a, and a better life and it just it's not an inauthentic experience like this NCAA experience is for so many players. And for the fans, I think it makes it better ultimately for everybody. You 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 get something that you're really asking for, which is quality, and you get the product. And and at the, and on top of that, I think like you said, choice is the biggest thing. That that choice and freedom go hand in hand. If you don't have more choices available, then you don't really have freedom. And what you want to give these kids up to, to if if you told me at 18 I could make $35,000 a year playing basketball. Sold. Why, yeah, why wouldn't I take that? I could get a roommate and then I'll split the cost. I get two roommates, three roommates. You get a four-bedroom apartment, split cost. I'm in the minor leagues. All right. I'll do that for a few years. Uh, you know, and I, I also still have the option to work when the season's not off because I'm an adult now. I'm not a, under some school supervision. I can supplement my income if I so choose. But I'm doing what I want to do. I put money aside for myself. And if I decide that I want to go to school, then I can. But I don't see a world where, the, you know, where these 18-year-olds who would be any less mature by taking them out of the college environment. In fact, I think you, you, you would do better by them because then you have the ability to teach them how to manage money. You have the ability to help them understand what it means to sign a lease. You have the ability as a league to do those things that a college won't do or is not capable of doing it. So, I mean, you get better people for society ultimately in the long run because you're you're not wasting so much time on this game of pretending what you are. You can treat these people like adults and help them be adults instead of doing this mythology of we're teaching these kids and we're teaching them the values of the game. They don't need the values of the game. They need to understand the rules of life. Yeah, and that that's an investment that I think we can should all agree should be made. We spent 20 minutes here making it, and for the life of me, I can't find an argument against it. I mean, why not bring everything that that we're supposed to stand for? Why not let that happen? Why not let it happen? But that investment, again, I hope it happens. David Grubb, thank you for making the investment and, and putting the time in to help this podcast happen. Every time we can have you back or something happens, we'll definitely invite you. Uh, tell the people one more time where they can find you. We're going on an hour and I'm going to let you finish your day because we got some football to watch tonight. Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMGrub um, and also at HITP with DGrub and my website, www.hitpwithdg.com. Um, and please subscribe and rate my podcast, Hard to Pay, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, definitely. I already got my five star in. I hope the listeners will get their five star review in for Protect the Nest. Help bring some of the best Pelicans podcasts to the top of the list. 
when anybody's looking for new information, we hope to bring everybody that information here. And I think I'm going to have a few more big stories. I've even tweeted about it uh, in the next coming, hopefully in the next two weeks, we'll have something not Pelicans related, but just trying to promote the city. Again, that's what we try to do on Protect the Nest. Try to promote David Grubb. Thank you for promoting us. Guys, thanks for spending the rest of your day. See you next time. And we protecting the nest, we protecting the nest. Pelicans updates right down to the sec. And we protecting the nest, we protecting the nest. Nola LBJ and Dots in time to get them in check. And we protecting the nest, we protecting the nest. Pelicans updates right down to the sec. And we protecting the nest, we protecting the nest. Nola LBJ and Dots in time to get them in check. Let's go.